You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Are you looking for a podcast your whole family can enjoy together? Uh-huh. Check out Culture Kids Podcast. Our adventures will ignite your curiosity for culture, traditions, languages, geography, and even pop culture with interviews from guests all over the world. Through each episode, we aim to help children become empathetic, creative leaders in their communities and help them see the beauty in our differences. And that's Culture Kids Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and today I'm joined with Autumn Lindy to discuss Red Wolves. Super excited about this one. Autumn, welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's, uh, you know, it's so funny. This, you know, Angie and I, you know, we're doing a lot of collaboration with the podcast and trying to get interviews set up. And you reached out to us and said, hey, you guys need to do Red Wolves. And I brought it up to Angie, and she's like, oh, we absolutely have to do Red Wolves. And the more we jumped into it, wow, their story is just tragic, but not too late, right? Yeah, hopefully not. Um, we'll see. But yeah, it's definitely a sordid, long history. Right, right. They, Yeah, they're just going through so many challenges right now. And, you know, we laid it out with the podcast on the animals. But, you know, we're going to get more into your background right now. But you work with these animals every day and I know we're going to talk a lot about this too at some point. Angie told me, ask about the pups that you just had, right? You just had some Yes, birds. we did. We had a litter of three um, born this year, and we had puppies last year too. So it's our second year. So we're getting a little better, you know, with our practices, but it's definitely still never gets old. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So I guess for the listeners first, you know, obviously in all these interviews, I always like to ask, what's your background? How did you get involved with Red Wolf Conservation or your zookeeping career? If you can just kind of let us know. Yeah. So I'm currently a keeper at the Museum of Life and Science in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I've been there for five years now. Um, So I've been working with the Red Wolves the whole time. Um, So that's pretty special. Um, But up until last year, it was just pairs. Um, You know, we never know when we make the pairs if they'll breed, if they'll even like each other, sometimes they don't. Uh, um, yeah. But before that, just pretty much like any other zookeeper, lots of temp jobs and internships. And I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so I started out up there mm-hmm. um, and then moved to North Carolina, started volunteering at the museum, and then ended up getting hired. So Right. And I, and I know, you know, because both Angie and I have, you know, zoo backgrounds and worked with zoos and in zoos. So for any of our listeners that are not zookeepers and they want a career in that, so what would be your best advice for them to 
you know, if they're looking for a career, uh, where do they start? Uh, start as early as you can. Um, it's so competitive, especially now. Um, you typically, um, a lot of places are looking for four-year degrees, um, if at least a two-year degree. Um, and then all of the internships, volunteer work, you know, farm, vet, whatever you can, um, getting your foot in the door is super right. important. We typically always hire internally. Occasionally we'll go from the outside, but you know, we know our interns and our volunteers, so it, it makes them easier to hire than going from the outside. But yeah, just anything you can and never say no when you're at your internships or volunteering. Any opportunity you're given, take it. Just do whatever, whatever you got to do. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's great advice. It's, you know, especially I always used to tell my students when I was a professor at UF was, you know, check the AZA job board, but you're right. It is very competitive. Yeah. Especially for what we do, you know, most, yes, I we have puppies now and, you know, I've gotten to handle them and um, that's great. Uh, but most of my day is making diets and cleaning up poop. So um, yep. <laughs> it's really competitive for that. So Yes, yes, yes. I uh, I used to follow my wife around San Antonio Zoo quite a bit, and it was a lot of cleaning and uh, some interesting smells, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I'm fortunate at the museum, we've got huge outdoor exhibits, um, but we're also responsible for the landscaping of those exhibits. So my summers mm-hmm. are spent pretty much with weed whacker in hand at all times. So real quick, you know, the Museum of Life and Science, you want to just kind of talk about that? Because uh, Durham's just a beautiful area of the United States in North Carolina. And I guess kind of just talk about like, what animals you have there and, and really what the mission of the the place is? Yeah, so we are kind of unique in that we are an AZA accredited museum. We're recently accredited just in the last couple of years. Um, so that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, first and foremost, you know, we're a science museum. So a lot of our, a lot of our things are tailored towards kids, you know, teaching them, you know, how to go about their day and learning about nature. We have a lot of nature play, which is really cool. And we have tree houses and, the kids can come out, um, you know, and get up in the trees and, and play around, which is really cool. But then we do have animals, which some people don't even know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they'll get even to on property and be like, you have bears? Where are they? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's always fun for us. But we do have 84 acres, so we are pretty big. Um, but um, we've got a lot of, you know, indoor exhibits with weather and, you know, hand washing and, you know, germs and how that works. And mm-hmm. uh, indoors, we have uh, native North Carolina wildlife. So we have skunks and owls and songbirds, and alligators. Um, then we have our farmyard area with all, you know, domestic hoofstock animals and, you know, pigs and lightning. Our donkey is probably the uh, forerunner. Everybody knows who lightning is. They, yeah, they yeah. want to see him. You know, he's a ham. Um, and then out in my section that I primarily work at, we have our, our black bears, our red wolves, our uh, ring-tailed lemurs, and our radiated tortoises. Um, so uh, we are recently getting more and more into conservation. Um, that's why we got the radiated tortoises. They're mm-hmm. critically endangered, so wanting to add some more species. And then um, just uh, we're sort of jumping into the world of conservation with other species, but Red wolves have always been a really important thing, um, mostly mm-hmm. because they're only in North Carolina. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, the museum felt a strong duty to, to have them and educate the public. Um, we work pretty closely with the Red Wolf Coalition um, and uh, support them 
with their their missions as well to be able to in turn you know support us and support the other institutions that have them which is is pretty cool no i know i oh god i I could just spend i'm sure i could spend all day all week at that museum because you know joining science and children and conservation all together just wow i really got to come visit whenever i get back there just sounds like a phenomenal place and i love the website too by the way so for the listeners please go check out their website it is amazing really well done so you know working with red wolves has that really where the start of your conservation work began or did you have an interest before that oh well this is my first keeping job so my first full-time job so pretty much everything you know for a long time was just learning the job um and you know six years ago i didn't know what a red wolf was didn't know Mm -hmm. not from here you know hadn't heard of them and then when moved here and we do keeper talks every day. And so one of them is at the wolf exhibit and like hearing the other keepers talk about it and just learning about them. And it's like, how could such an, an you know, a native endangered animal be doing so poorly and how come, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to support it and you know, what's going on. And so just started, you know, being really interested in, in them and because they're so endangered and because their history is so, you know, crazy with, they already were extinct in the wild once and, you know, we worked to save them and reintroduce them. And now here we are again in the almost same position. Um, right. And so it's just super sad, but it's, you know, they're a native wolf to America. It's the only place that has them. No overseas zoos have them or it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just makes us stronger, you know, push for them. And, you know, everyone has, you know, lemurs and, and tortoises and, and not everyone has red wolves. So we're unique mm-hmm. in that. Um, and just in hearing a lot of the misinformation and miscommunication, you know, wolves even as recently in Frozen are the villains. Um, right, so, right, right. <laughs> you know, wanting to change that, you know, because we need, we need support. We need the public support. We need that to change if, if we're going to be able to, to save them, certainly in the wild. Anyways. No, no, that's a great point. And it's, you know, the way animals are, are shown in popular culture, right? So, you know, going back to Jaws, Jaws has done more harm to ocean conservation of sharks than, you know, any other film in history. You know, I grew up scared of swimming and I grew up in California in the ocean, you know, always worried about Jaws, but I have a greater chance of getting hit by lightning than getting hit, you know, attacked by a shark. Same thing with wolves. You know, wolves get a bad rap. And they're just incredible, gorgeous, wonderful animals. Oh, yeah. So so thank you for what you're doing. How many red wolves do you guys currently have? So we have our our male and our female breeding pair. Um, We did have a litter of three. Um, Unfortunately, on Saturday, one of our puppies was uh, deceased. Mm. Um, So we do have two puppies Mm. now. Um, So we have just the four. Our exhibit's about a fourth of an acre, so somewhat small. Um, so we typically just keep our breeding pair and then, you know, if we get lucky and have puppies, uh, the puppies, so we're usually pretty small, but luckily we, you know, last year we had six because the, um, we had six puppies, two of them passed before survived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had six puppies or six wolves all summer, which is a lot of wolves. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and you know, I think it's one of the hard things working in conservation is, you know, like with humans, you would expect, you know, you want a hundred percent survival rates, all the babies survive, but in, you know, conservation, that doesn't always happen, you know, even under all, you know, the, the best circumstances. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about like 
how did I guess how did you anticipate puppies coming? How did you take care of them? And then, you know, what are they doing today, I guess? Yeah, so um, red wolves are harder in that, too. Um, because they're a recovery species, we're really, really hands-off. Um, we want to keep them wild because mm-hmm. chances of these wolves going back into the wild, not super positive because of the climate out in, in North Carolina. But mm-hmm. eventually, maybe they're puppies' puppies. You know, maybe there'll be another site or, you know, whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't train with them, you know, anything like that. We do go in with them. They're very shy and skittish, so they don't want to be near us. Um, But we can't do ultrasounds, so it's pretty much all behavior-based. But usually uh, we look for the ties. Um, So uh, canid breeding Mm -hmm. is, you know, very very noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever we see those ties, we count 63 days, which is their gestation and put it on our big master calendar. And then we know around then, you know, we should start, you know, looking. What usually will happen is our male wolves are, are really great mates and partners and they'll start offering the females food, uh, yeah. which is the first thing they That's do. Awesome. Yeah. So he'll usually, uh, we feed them several things, but the rats are pretty, uh, pretty coveted. So when he starts taking those to her, you know, we know we're probably headed in a good direction. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes. And then after that, it's, it's, she may get bigger. She may not. Um, sort of depends. Um, last year's female got very big. This year's female didn't. Um, and then about two weeks up until birth, she'll actually start pulling out her belly hair to expose her oh, nipples wow. to nurse. Yeah. Uh, so once we see that, we know, okay, okay, we're, we're probably headed towards puppies, but we still don't know. Um, and then usually, um, up to a week potentially, but definitely in the days, um, close to birth, she's going to start getting restless and digging. They start digging all sorts of holes, um, to make dens. We do have man-made dens that we hope because they have cameras in them and, you know, easy to access doors on the back. Um, but she'll dig lots of dens. And so that's always good behavior. Mm-hmm. Then the day of usually she's sort of just digging constantly and can't settle. And that's our last sort of indicator, um, which this year, um, I was one of the people who did not think she was pregnant. Um, it just was very different yeah. from our last female, which goes to show right. everybody's an individual. Um, right, right, right. And uh, one of our rangers actually came to me at the end of the day, and he said, hey, just so you know, she's been in and out of the den, digging a lot. I just want you to know. And I said, okay, you know. Uh, uh, came in the next morning and there were puppies. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so like surprise, surprise. Yeah. So it was a Saturday. So my boss wasn't there. So I got her on the phone and I was like, we have puppies. <laughs> she was like, That's okay, awesome. I'll, I'll be in. <laughs> um, yeah. so, uh, then, so that was you know, fun. But it, yeah. I had, you know, it's funny cause before we even scheduled the interview, Angie tagged me in the post on Facebook that you guys had puppies and we were getting ready to, to start uh, doing our research on red wolves. So what's it like from your perspective? Cause you, you did go in there and handle them a little bit, right? You weighed them and, and checked them. But- yeah. So we usually give her a full 24 hours to just make sure she's done. Um, cause we don't want to interrupt her <laughs> mid birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go in that first day and it's usually just a very quick, like get them out, see what sexes we have, weigh them, make sure there's nothing, you know, really wrong with them and then get out. Um, and then every other day after that, usually it's a, you know, a week check. 
for a little while. Um, and then it'll go to like once a week. And then once it's time, you know, their vaccine schedule will start and we'll start, you know, uh, pulling them out and it'll be a little longer of a checkup because there's vaccines and, you know, they'll get flea combed and, and all that to make sure that they're doing good. Um, but mostly the first week we're looking for paw pad issues um, for red wolves, um, if they get cuts and things, um, it can lead to, a, you know, an infection or, or more issues pretty quickly. So we want to get those um, taken care of as quickly as we can. So what's it like holding those puppies knowing there's 200, what, 240 maybe, 250 left on earth? I mean, that's just, wow, the responsibility. I mean, thank you again for what you're doing, but just wow. I mean, I would just be awed doing that yeah it was a highlight definitely uh probably the the best thing i've done so far um in my career um it was just that uh you know inspiring feeling of i'm one holding an endangered animal um which is amazing but Mm -hmm. then holding one of the most endangered canids it's sort of it's hard to wrap your mind around but it was definitely i was pregnant at the time last year so i was sort of like growing with Uh the puppies um which was, uh-huh. you know, different, um, and it was fun. And even towards the end, everyone's like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm holding these puppies. <laughs> you know, I got it. <laughs> so. Did you, did, uh, did, did your husband bring you food? <laughs> yeah. you're dropping it off at the, at the door, yeah. <laughs> Lots of snacks are definitely involved. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did the same thing. And I'm sure Angie can relate, you know, having two of her own, so... Yeah, it's just, you know, you, you, it's so hard to think about when you see one of those animals and you're like, wow, you're one of a couple hundred left on the planet. Uh, it's just wow. So can you give us some, you know, help the listeners give some insights since you're there, you know, in North Carolina working with these animals day in, day out, kind of what's the political climate right now on trying to save them in the wild? Yeah, it's not too great. Um, North Carolina does not want the red wolves here anymore. Um, they asked uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, who does own all of the red wolves, to remove them from North Carolina. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife did say no. They weren't going to do that. Um, but And they you know, released statements saying various things, but they haven't really given us any concrete information on how they're actually going to help North Carolina. What used to happen is out in the wild, red wolves and coyotes can interbreed. They're closely enough related. And so what they would do is they found that if they uh, trapped the coyote, brought him in, sterilized him, re-released him, that he would act as a placeholder. So more coyotes couldn't come in, but the female red wolf couldn't breed with him. Mm-hmm. And North Carolina stopped issuing the permits for the government to do that. Um, that was sort of the first thing they did. And then um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is being sued by several um, environmental agencies for not doing their job. They allowed a legal take of a female wolf. And then it was found out that after she was uh, killed, she had just given birth to puppies. Hmm. So, you know, not only is she yeah. gone, but so are her puppies. Right, right. So there are, you know, institutions that are working for them, um, but the state of North Carolina does not want them here. I went to a town hall meeting once a couple years ago when they were trying to get feelings 
on how people were feeling and the the people out there are very anti-government. They don't want the government telling them what they can and cannot do mm. and just a lot of misinformation. You know, I've had, I had a woman stand up and say, well, Little Red Riding Hood and the three little pigs in the Bible say wolves are bad. So we shouldn't have wolves. Oh, God. And I like went yeah, to throw yeah. my stuff down and my husband was like, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but it's so ridiculous. It um, is. It is. But oh I mean, my goodness. That's, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's one landowner out there that he's, he's got a lot of money. Um, and he like buys banners and flies them over like the counties and he drums up a lot of negative support and he, you know, he's loud and, you know, we're trying to be louder, but you know, money does talk. Mm -hmm. So, um, he has reached a lot of people with his negative views, unfortunately. And and, and it kind of sums up the political climate in the United States. I mean, it just, uh, it's so maddening because, you know, Angie and I were talking the other day about this. We have the resources of the United States, but you know, we have the money to save this, these animals. And I just don't know if we have the political will or the backing, right? So we have to be louder than the uh, detractors, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's, I've, you know, I've had people say, well, the money that's going into the Red Wolf recovery program, you know, put it somewhere else, like put it towards like schools or whatever. And it's like, well, no, that money would still go back into fish and wildlife. Like Mm -hmm. that's not going to go elsewhere. So it it doesn't, it's still going to go into animal or nature conservation. That's not how it works. Right, right. And one of the points we brought up the other day, too, was talking about, you know, how wolves have such a, a beneficial impact to the environment. You know, the, uh, the if you look at Yellowstone, what's going on there with the reintroduction of the wolves? It's recovering. Plants are recovering. Beavers have returned. You know, so these top predators are so critical to maintaining a healthy, you know, ecosystem. And when you take these top predators out, coyotes proliferate, smaller mammals proliferate, and that has drastic effects. So, yeah, just, wow, yeah, it's it's, a, it's just a nasty political climate right now. Yeah, it is. So I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to ask, do you have any good Red Wolf stories, you know, working with them? Anything that you'd like, oh, God, that was so funny, or? <laughs> yeah. Our last mail that we had um we, our exhibit was empty at the time. Um, both of our previous wolves had passed away, so we were getting the new pair. And so we have sort of a side cage area that they were, he was in, you know, while he was getting used to being at the museum and, you know, we were checking him out, making sure he was, is good and, you know, good to go. And we opened the doors, we let him out into the exhibit. He runs full speed ahead into, we have a pool in the exhibit, full speed ahead right into the pool. Didn't even see it. Just boom. <laughs> Not a happy And then doggy. got up like, oh, no, what? Like, no, did anybody see that? Like that classic, like, what? Um, <laughs> That's funny. He he was, uh, they all, um, like, for shy and elusive as they are, they do really have personalities. And it, mm-hmm. it came out a lot last year with the puppies when – Every morning, pretty much, once the puppies got about, you know, four to five months old, mom would just start pouncing on dad. And then all the mm-hmm. puppies would start pouncing on dad. And then they're chasing him around the exhibit, <laughs> just <laughs> oh, like pouncing on him and biting his face and his ears. And, yeah. you know, he was a good sport about it. But they are, they're, they're a family unit and people don't realize that either. They don't run in big mm-hmm. packs. It's just mm-hmm. mom, you know, the breeding pair and puppies from that year and maybe puppies from the year before but they're just they're small little family group 
Um, mm-hmm. And they do act like a family. Dad helps raise the puppies. He plays with them. He teaches them how to hunt. And so watching that last year, watching the whole family dynamic from pregnancy to dad coming in and taking them out of the den and um, mm-hmm. was pretty, pretty amazing. It, it is. And the more species I research, you know, and learn a lot more about, it's incredible the the social and behavior and intelligence. You know, one of the things we talk about is, you know, we don't like to anthropomorphize or say, oh, they have human-like intelligence, but they do have feelings. I mean, they do show emotion and they, like you said, they have personalities. So it's, it's interesting to hear from somebody that, that sees these animals day in, day out. So last year's puppies, where'd they end up going? Uh, they actually went to the New York Wolf Conservation Center uh, up in New York. Our family, uh, the parents were getting a chance to breed again. Um, and knowing that she had six puppies, um, we, our exhibit definitely could not handle 12 <laughs> wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So um, the decision was made to keep them all together. Uh, they went up to an exhibit that's about um, an acre big. So they went up there and were able to, they had puppies again, six puppies again. So oh, wow. um, they're having a, a giant family. Right, right. And yeah, and then we we actually got a male from from New York Wolf, and the female came to us from the NC Zoo. Um, he had bred before, yeah. and it was her first time. She's young, which is great um, for red wolves. Young females usually mm-hmm. bode well, and proven males typically work out. So mm-hmm. they had both been alone for a little while. Um, and so when they met, uh, introductions were pretty seamless, and then they liked each other enough that mm-hmm. they uh, gave us puppies. They have babies, yeah, yeah. So can you talk about the introduction process for people that have never or don't know how that works? Yeah, so uh, for us, it's it's been pretty um, seamless. I know in, in years past, they've had more issues, but we have the side cage area, and so um, usually, you know, one has already been in there for a while, and then we'll let whoever that is out into the exhibit, and then the other one will come in, um, hang out sort of in this, you know, holding area. And just while we clear that one, make sure, you know, they don't have parasites or, or whatnot. So they sort of have a howdy, you know, in zoo lingo. Right, right. Um, so they can see each other, smell each other, but they can't get to one another. And then after everybody's good health wise, we open the door. <laughs> and, um, last year's pair, um, he sort of, uh, sort of pinned her once as like a hey, I'm in charge here. And she was like, okay, fine. And then yeah. from that moment on, they were, they were best buds and it was fine. And uh, I wasn't there for this past introduction because I was on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. But from what I heard, it was, it was not even that eventful. Like they walked in, they were like, hi, hey. And then they <laughs> went and laid next to each other. Like totally not eventful at all. Best friends for life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> so. it, it's funny because we, you know, Angie and I were like, oh my God, this, we could talk about dogs or canids for hours because the behavior. So for anybody, you know, you get a little bit worried about introducing wolves. Think about it, you know, a dog park. You bring dogs, they sniff each other's rears, like, hey, what's up? You know, that's always the funny thing they do. And they kind of, through a lot of subtle, you know, behavior, establish who's dominant, who's not. And then sometimes you have some fighting, which, yeah, which is scary. So hopefully you don't ever have to experience that. So when do they when do they wean their babies? 
Uh, about eight weeks. Um, so for the first four weeks, uh, well, first two weeks of life, their eyes and ears and, and things are still pretty much closed and they're not doing a whole lot. And then at about four mm-hmm. weeks, uh, they're up and mobile and they'll start venturing out of the den a little bit, but not too far, just sort of enough to be like, hey, world, and come back in. And then, you know, after mm-hmm. that, it just gets increasing more and more. But it's about at eight weeks that she'll at least start. She might not be finished but she'll at least be starting the process. Uh-huh. And then, you know, even before that, um, well, dad's, um, <laughs> our last male took, was taking them like large bones oh, yeah. at like four weeks. He was like <laughs> dropping them in the den and we're like, ah, I think they can eat those yet, bud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but even, um, before the eight weeks and then for a while after the parents will regurgitate meat mm-hmm. for them. Okay. So, um, what do you- so they'll do that for a while. Sorry, what do you what do you feed the uh, I guess mom and dad? Yeah, so we feed them uh, ground meat, uh, you know, raw meat, uh, mm-hmm. and we actually mix that with some canine chow that's made, you know, for wolves and human care. Mm-hmm. And uh, we make meatballs for them, so we scatter that around their exhibit, so they mm-hmm. have to actually use their noses um, mm-hmm. to get up and and sniff. And then mm-hmm. we also give them rats, that whole prey diet part. Um, and these guys will, for enrichment, you know, they might get eggs or deer parts. Um, we have some hunters on staff who will donate like deer legs and ribs mm-hmm. and things they don't need. Mm-hmm. So we'll freeze those and thaw them out throughout the year and give them to them. And then um, they also get free choice of the chow. So we have it in feeders in the yard mm-hmm. just so whenever, you know, or if someone didn't get enough, you know, if somebody was being, you know, taking all the meat. At least there's, you know, the child that they can have later. You know, it's one thing we always talk about with animals under human care. They're, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet, even though, you know, the, the, the nutrition is closely monitored, right? So you, you constantly are weighing them or training them to step on scales, things like that. So even though they have free choice, they're still not fat, right? I guess what I'm trying to get no. at. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, um, yeah, we do. And, you know, we'll, you know, obviously once the puppies get older, we'll be feeding them more. Um, and we sort of just watch and, you know, if a lots of food is being left over, you know, we'll, we'll cut it back or, mm-hmm. you know, last year we changed how we fed sort of, they got all their rodents in the morning and they got their meatballs at the end of the day just to sort of help space it out. They also catch thing on, things on their own. Uh, so we often walk into raccoons or possums that have met their demise um, <laughs> in our exhibit. <laughs> um, uh, and pretty much nothing's <laughs> off limits. Turtles, yeah. snakes, even copperheads um, yeah. they've caught in before. Um, uh, yeah, you name it, if it's alive, they will yeah. usually take it down. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, and, you know, one of the old zoo stories from San Antonio Zoo, my cat was a rescue from the zoo. My uh, at, My wife, she... They trapped him and she just brought him home and gave him to me when we were dating. So I had a cat and he was my zoo cat, but his brothers or sisters, you know, would get in with the hyenas or the lions and they didn't, yeah, it wasn't a good area for them to be in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I would, yeah. So those poor raccoons, I love raccoons. That's, that's the thing with the other day. I was like, Oh, I know they hunt them, but I love raccoons. They're just one of my favorite animals. Um, do you, have, have you done any of the work for, cause one of the things we talk about too is just the difficulty in getting a predator ready for release. So are you guys aware or do any training with the wolves or anything potentially for them to be released to get them ready for the wild? 
Uh, we pretty much just try to be as hands-off as possible. Um, so even though, you know, we do go into the yard, um, you know, we're still dropping off all their food. You know, they have to find it. We don't do any sort of operant conditioning with them. Even And then the way we handle them, even the puppies, you know, we're holding them that's not probably the most comfortable for them. Um, but we don't want their associations with us when they're that little to be good. Um, you know, we want them to be like, oh, people are not good just in case they ever have to go to the wild. So we, we do that. Um, also, you know, enrichment's a big part of, you know, being a keeper. And for them, it's very strict. So we cannot give them anything that's man-made, anything that might come from a domestic animal that they might want to go to the wild and go after. Mm-hmm. So it makes my job much a little bit more difficult because, you know, anything we do has to be natural and, you know, right. all the other animals can get, you know, puzzle feeders and balls and, you know, barrels and these guys can't. So you have to be a little bit more creative in that aspect. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And for the listeners that don't know what enrichment is, that's what, you know, conservation centers and zoos uh, do to keep the animal, you know, stimulated, you know, like some natural scents and things like that, that, you know, so they're just not sitting there all day on display like you would think of a zoo last century. It's they're interacting with their environments. They're going out and investigating, you know, exhibiting some of their natural behaviors. So as a, as a keeper, you're in charge of making sure that's happening each day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, some animals it's more, some animals it's less, but every, you know, animal at the museum at least gets enrichment. Um, you know, some of our reptiles, it may not be every day. Right, they need, right. seem to need it less, but you know, mm-hmm. like the lemurs have to get it twice a day. Um, and like mm-hmm. our skunk, who's really active, he has to get it twice a day. So, um, it just all depends. But luckily, right, right. um, since all of our animals are parasite free, like we can give like feces or urine from the skunk or the rabbits to the wolves and that they mm-hmm. seem to like, you know, they roll around in it and they pee on it. And, yeah. um, so. <laughs> Good smells. <laughs> yeah, taking a bath. Like I said, uh, being a zookeeper, you discover a lot of interesting smells, right? Yes, that is that is for yeah. sure. So, I don't know if you know this answer or not, but I'm going to ask it. Do the puppies howl, and how old are they when they start to howl? Um, they will try. Um, I don't remember how young they were, but it doesn't right. sound very majestic. It more sounds like a <laughs> yipping <laughs> um, but they will. Um, and that's how actually how wolves learn is from, you know, their parents and wolves around them and it will actually shape their howl. So mm-hmm. uh, they'll listen to mom and dad and then we're by a hospital. And so when the ambulances go off, usually the wolves will howl to it. Right, right. So <laughs> this last pair, anytime mom and dad would howl, the puppies would just start jumping on dad. Like they would be like yipping and be like, whoa, we're we're talking, we're doing stuff. Cool. And (laughs) oh God. So they do try. Um, it doesn't sound very good though. By the time they left us, it it sounded better. Right. I I would be remiss because Angie would, would ask this without a a second thought. Could you mimic? Oh gosh. (laughs) I wish I had, um, I probably have a recording somewhere, but I don't know that I could. It's, um, Gosh, it's just the most like sort of like high pitched like yip, like that you could like if you think of like sort of like a small yeah. dog, um, sort of that like yipping noise. Right, um, right. And even some of the adult wolves, we haven't had the best howlers, 
So it'll start like a long right, one, right, and then it will right, break right. down into like these little just yips. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll give you a pass. I just know Angie would be mad at me if I didn't <laughs> at least ask. We do uh, in in the Red Wolf podcast. We do actually have them howling. So you know, and it is different from a coyote and a gray wolf uh, howl. So you know, there's some controversy with red wolves. I don't know if you could speak to this or not. But, you know, some scientists or a paper came out last year that said, oh, red wolves are recent hybridized animals from coyotes and, and gray wolves. And then a rebuttal paper said that science was junk. <laughs> so, you know, do you, from your, you know, with handling these animals every day, do you hear any of that? Like, especially with the Red Wolf Coalition, you know, how do we educate people that these are a, their own species? Yeah, I've been lucky in that I haven't had too many people. Um, I did have a lady recently actually woke up and asked me, you know, has anyone ever, you know, uh, talked to you about them? And, you know, and I was like, you know, I know people don't believe they're their own species. And she's like, yeah, I don't. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. But I mean, pretty much, you know, um, it's what we say is the science has proved that they are um, time and time again um, through the time that they you know, started being all taken into human care to start the recovery mm-hmm. program, they have found that they are, they are distinct. They just are. Right, and, right. you know, even if they were a hybrid at some point, um, at this point, it's happened so long ago that they are distinct now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they still deserve our protection. Um, you know, fish and wildlife um, just actually recently did a review again. And they said, mm-hmm. again, they, the science they have found, um, they, they are a species. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, everyone's saying, you know, the people that know and the scientists are saying they are, um, you sort of just, you know, have to keep reiterating that to people that, you know, science is showing that they are. So if you believe in science, right. <laughs> right. this is something yeah, you I, should believe. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's again, hard. Yeah. Yeah, some of the politics in the U.S., some people don't believe in science. I mean, it's crazy we even talk about the earth being flat, but that makes the news for some reason. Like, come on. Like, seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it. You know, you can't convince everybody, you know, all the time. Um, you know, you always have the fringes. It's It's convincing the majority. And I agree with you. You know, looking into the research that's been done, looking into that study that came out last year, and then reading the rebuttal paper, you could see where the science was flawed. And hybridization is a part of speciation, not to get too nerdy on everybody, but, you know, when animals do hybridize and then form their own species, and this happened for the red wolves, they think 300,000 years ago. So it's not last year or last 100 years. This happened long time ago, and now they're their own separate species and they breed true. So anyways, yeah, it, it, I, I feel for you when you run into the people like that. You know, how do you convince them? I guess another question is, you know, from, from your perspective, because every day you work with these animals and, you know, how do we convince people it's worthwhile to save them? And then how do we convince people it's worthwhile to save any endangered species? Yeah, I think that is the question. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it's pretty much why we're all doing what we're doing. Um, but I think for mm-hmm. the red wolf, I mean, if you live here in America, I mean, it is, uh, you know, a native species to America. It's one of the 
the one animal, you know, we have and, and no one else has it. So we should be proud of that, that they, you know, are, you know, one of ours. And they do, uh, wolves in general, you know, do play a role on the ecosystem. And, you know, if we lose our apex predators, we're going to see that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll feel it too eventually. Um, it might not be tomorrow or, you know, next year or 10 years, but if we lose all of our predators, we're going to feel it. Um, I know mm-hmm. predators are hard. It's hard telling people, well, you have to live with the wolves in your backyard. You mm-hmm. deal. You know, mm-hmm. when I don't, I, I don't live with them here. But red wolves have never attacked a human. They've never harmed to humans. Um, they're very shy. They're just, you know, doing their thing, trying to, you know, live and, and reproduce and, you know. Um, right, right. And, yeah, and I think endangered species in general, you know, I think we have an obligation to. Um, we are the reason why most of them are, you know, in trouble. And, um, you know, I now have a daughter and I want her to be able to see these animals in the wild, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just in zoos, even though I love what I do. But, you know, we always say if the world was perfect, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need my job. Um, right, right. <laughs> but it's not. Um, and just, you know, who wants to live in a world where there aren't animals? I don't. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's, it's a, it's a good point that you brought up. It's like, you know, here's a microcosm of what's going on in the world. You have an endangered species, the red wolves. You have an area where you re- try to reintroduce them that you're failing, and it's in the wealthiest country in the world. We have the resources to do it, but it's still failing. And there's not a lot of places to put them. So there isn't a lot of wild out there. So when people say, oh, we shouldn't keep animals either in captivity or in centers or things like that, Look at the red wolf. If we didn't, they would be gone, right? I mean, they'd be extinct. Uh, yeah, yeah, they would. Um, yeah, they came from a founding population of only 12 that were able to actually reproduce. Um, so, yeah, genetics are pretty poor, and, um, you know, they mm. probably wouldn't have been able to find each other. So, yeah, it is all because of, of you know, zoos taking them in and starting their breeding program. Otherwise, they would have mm-hmm. they would be extinct. Um, so right. it's super important also to support your local institutions that, you know, have endangered species because we do more than just exit them. Uh, you know, we are working oh, on the yeah. back end trying to actually save these animals, um, you know, from extinction. Right. And, and education, like your museum, like, wow, talk about just probably one of the best in the world, you know, just looking at it for what you're trying to do, educate, you know, young children with animals and, and other things in science. So bravo to you guys. That just sounds like a, an amazing place to work. Thanks. It is. It is. Um, I didn't, you know, really know what, you know, when I started into this field, you know, what I wanted to do or what I wanted to work with or where I was going, but I'm definitely happy to have ended up at the museum. It's a, a wonderful place and a beautiful part of the country. So how can our listeners help? What's the best way? What can they do to help with Red Wolves? I've been pushing, get political, you know, contact your representatives, but what are some other things people could do? Yeah, definitely that. Definitely we need um, public support for them, especially if you live in North Carolina, um, you know, letting people know that you want them here. But then, um, you know, education is really, really the big thing. You know, listen to this and go tell people about the Red Wolves. There are people in North Carolina that have never heard of them or don't realize how endangered they are. And, you know, we need them to know. We need them to start caring. And, you know, in as far as, you know, in human care and, you know, the places that house them, you know, 
we always need more space. Um, so ins- we need more institutions to house them. Mm-hmm. When you've got an animal that gives birth to litters, you need places to put them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're hoping um, that we're going to get some support, hopefully more support. The Red Wolf actually just got, we are one of the founding partners, along with the NC Zoo, Zoo Knoxville, and Point Defiance, um, that petitioned ADA safe. Um, and now the red wolf is an AZA safe species. Um, so oh, awesome. hopefully, yeah, it, it was the fastest application that's ever been accepted. <laughs> oh, wow. So, um, uh, hopefully they'll get some more support through AZA that way. So just supporting AZA institutions, um, you know, indirectly mm-hmm. is, is going to help us as well. And red wolf coalition, they have a big Facebook presence. So you can see about all of the stuff that goes on with the government. And out in North Carolina, and then also all the institutions that have them, you know, they post when puppies are born and anything mm-hmm. that's going on. And they, you know, obviously donate money and things like that. So they're a really great organization to follow. Yeah. And for everybody, uh, AZA Association Zoos and Aquariums, they accredit uh, zoos in the United States. Uh, Angie and I talked about that in the podcast, but I think that's going to get edited out. <laughs> it's pretty long. So trying to, we, we, we talked a lot about wolves and we're definitely going to have to revisit, revisit them again because there's so much and so much behavior and just a special species. So, you know, Autumn, just thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for reaching out to us. So, you know, for any of the other listeners, if you have a species like red wolf you want on our radar, contact us, please. Because thankfully Autumn did and her friend Katie and, and here we are, you know, hopefully getting, you know, letting thousands of people around the world know about them. And we just need to network and educate, educate, educate. So thank you. Yeah. And if you want for Angie, I do have a video on my phone of our last uh, family howling. Oh, if you please. want me to play it. Please, 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 Not always as regal as you think. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, "Is that a party or something?" Is that horrible? <laughs> That's yeah, great. but that is six wolves, um, oh two parents, and four puppies trying to howl, and that was from oh. August. Uh, so you know they were a couple of months old at that point. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Oh, that's going to make her. That's going to make her weak. I guarantee it. That is going to make her weak. Well, Autumn, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I know you have a little one at home. Uh, you know, I thank you for taking the time uh, to, to talk to us, and thank you for bringing Red Wolves to our attention. And, and we'll do what we can on our end. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for doing them and being so awesome about it. Thanks, thanks. All right, take care. You too. <laughs>